Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Blog Talk Radio's A Date with Destiny for Monday, September the 27th, 2021. I'm your host and author of the book, Destiny Awaits, The Pouring Out of Wisdom for Humanity to Drink, Lisa M. Saunders, coming to you from Owings Mills, Maryland. And this broadcast is being sponsored by Masterminds, LLC inspiring and empowering people to achieve a greater destiny. We are super excited this evening about being with you and to be able to share love and wisdom with the desire to uplift, inspire, motivate, and empower you to live a more peace-filled, joyful, and loving life. You can receive and download this podcast via iTunes or anywhere you receive your podcast. You can also receive it via my website, yourdestinyawaits.net, and also follow us on Twitter at Lease101, that's L-Y-S-E-101. If you would like to become a sponsor or to get more exposure for your literary work or business, you can send a message via my website, info at yourdestinyawaits.net, or via my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash a date with destiny 101. So once again, we are so excited to be able to share with our listeners information from people of all walks of life that we believe will inspire motivate, and empower you. We are so happy, so happy to be in our ninth year of broadcasting and can't wait to share some great things from some really extraordinary people that we have coming up for the rest of this season. But tonight, ladies and gentlemen... Tonight, we have another amazing show with another amazingly extraordinary person. We have joining with us again, once again, um, activist Jane Elliott. Now, if for some reason you have not been on this planet for like, oh my gosh, I don't know when, and you're just visiting us, um, Google is your friend, okay? So you need to get on and just Google Jane Elliott and just, you know, look at the videos and, and all of that. Jane is a former third grade school teacher, anti-racism activist and educator, as well as a feminist and an LGBTQ activist. She is known for her blue eyes, brown eyes exercise. She first conducted her famous exercise for her class the day after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated when her local newspaper published compositions that the children had written about the experience, the reactions both 
both positive and negative, formed the basis for her whole career, pretty much her whole career, as a public speaker against discrimination. Elliot's classroom exercise was filmed the third time she held it with her 1970 third graders to become the eye of the storm. This, in turn, inspired a retrospective that reunited the 1970 class members with their teacher 15 years later in a class divided. Both of those were excellent. After leaving her school, Elliot became a diversity educator full-time. She still holds the exercise um, and gives lectures about its effects all over the United States and in several locations overseas. So Jane is not, Cousin Jane actually, is not a stranger to a date with destiny, and we would now like to welcome her back to the show. So Jane Elliott, Cousin Jane Elliott, (laughs) welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you today? That was a nice introduction, but... But it might have been a waste of time if they don't like what I say. But we'll go ahead anyway, all right? Oh, we're definitely going to go ahead anyway. And for those who don't like what you say, oh, well, that's just too bad. <laughs> because I'm go- I know I'm going to love everything you have to say. How about that? Well, they're in a good, they're in a good position because they can turn me off. When I'm Absolutely. But if I were in their presence, if I were doing this in person, they'd have to put up with it. So this is an advantage for me, whether, it is, whether or not it is for them. Well, you know what? We're just going to claim, you know, we're just going to do what we do and be who we are. How about that? Because I would not have you, listen, listen, I would not have you any other way. And and this is actually your third time back with us. And if I could have you on like once a month as a regular guest, I would. Okay. So let's, you know, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> your, your listeners are lucky that you can't get that dream realized. <laughs> well, I can. A girl can hope and dream, right? But listen, yeah. So listen. Um, uh, first of all, thank you so much for coming back with us. I'm just so like you know. First, I always tell you that I love you. So, and there's nothing you can do about that. But I, uh, I appreciate your your wisdom um, and everything that you stand for and have stood for in your career, Um, and we have a lot of ground to cover. And so every time I hear something political (laughs) that, uh, well, this world is just, I don't know, I don't know what to say about it, but I always think about you, um, Jane, a lot when some of these things happen, and I'm like, oh, my God, I wonder what she thinks about this. But we do have a lot of ground to cover, and I want to start off, okay? Now, I know this one's going to get you going. I want to start off by talking about the abortion laws that were set up in Texas, which is just the starting point for all of this atrocity. And I know you... There's an answer to the problem of abortion. Okay. It's a fairly fairly simple answer. If you're a woman and you disapprove of abortion, don't have one. Right. Don't complain about what other people are doing. Just take care of your own body and leave other people's bodies alone. What my daughters or nieces or grandchildren do with their bodies is their business, not yours. Okay? If you're a Absolutely. man and you're opposed to abortion, don't do anything to contribute for the, to the need for one. Mm-hmm. If, you don't want to raise, if you don't want to raise a child and you don't want to be responsible for raising a child, you need to be threatened by the government with, if you contribute to an unwanted pregnancy, 
you must submit to involuntary vasectomy so that you won't contribute to any more unwanted yes. pregnancies. Now, yes. vasectomy is reversible. Pregnancy and birth are not reversible. Right. Pregnancy is reversible, but you always, if you have a child and give it up for adoption, you still hear that child crying in the night for years afterward. Mm-hmm. This whole abortion issue is all about controlling women. Number one, it's about controlling women, but number two, it is about increasing the number of white babies born in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Because we mm-hmm. have a large group of adult, so-called adult males, boys in, and their toys, who are absolutely terrified that we are going to the so-called white race, which doesn't even exist, mm-hmm. to be outnumbered. And within 30 years, we, the so-called white race, are going to be a minority in the United States of America. And that is scaring these guys silly because they're afraid that people of color are going to want to treat them the way white, are going to want to treat white folks the way white folks had treated them. Mm-hmm. I think they need to be frightened that way. I think they need to realize that after you have been abused in the ways we have abused black, particularly what we call black people in this country, you know how that feels to be on the receiving end of that, so you don't want to do that to, to other people. Right. But you see, they are, they are projecting their own unpleasant ideas and behaviors on other people. Well, if they get power, they're going to want to do this and this and this. I don't think that's true. And I think that President Obama proved it isn't true. And I think people all day, every day, all over this country, people of color are proving that they don't want to get even. They just want to get equity. They want to get what they're promised in the Constitution. Equal treatment under the law. I want it for them, and I want it for all of us, and I want it now. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, I've heard you say this before, um, and when I say it to other people, like, it blows their mind, because the first time I heard you say it, it blew my mind, too, because I couldn't figure out why in the world would you force a woman who was raped to not, you know, to keep the baby. And so so a lot of things that the GOP have decided to do, um, it just I just couldn't understand it until I heard you say what you said as far as they're afraid to becoming the minority in this country. Um, hey, and that makes a whole lot of sense. Women, forcing women to have babies is another form of slavery. Mm-hmm. Make no mistake about that. If you are forced to use your body for nine months and then take care of that child or maybe give it up for adoption, you have still been forced to use your body for nine months to do yeah. what? To increase the number of white people in this country. This right. is pure, yeah, this is wrong. This we must yeah. not tolerate. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've heard you also wait mention. A wait a minute. Wait a minute. Huh? There's something else mm-hmm. we have to deal with, and that is okay. the evangelicals. If oh, my goodness. Yeah, you have to realize that. Yeah. Frank Charlotte, then not mm-hmm. Charlotte, Frank, anyway, the man who wrote the books about Frank Schaefer, I'm sorry, Frank Schaefer, has written mm-hmm. several books about the evangelical faith as it has been corrupted in this country. You need to get a Frank Schaefer book and read it and realize how far from the original ideas of evangelical faith what we are doing right now is. It is absolutely unbelievable. Many mm-hmm. people who put Nautosaurus Chief Rump in power were evangelicals yep. because yeah. he is, they 
they found a man, not a man, they found a boy grown tall who <laughs> will support that unfairness where women are concerned. Now, half yeah. the population is women. You better leave your hands off us. You better realize that we have power, and we will, when we get this whole thing for the next two years settled. This thing is going to play itself out, but it's going to take some time. Yeah. Yeah, I can't even believe we're here, to be honest with you. Um, but here we are. So, it's yeah. It's beyond belief. This isn't the way a civilized society behaves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you've also uh, mentioned before, I've heard you mention um, previously that 60% of the fetuses were white at one point in time, and then a reporter contradicted you and said that your numbers were off and that it was actually 39%. So share with us what you told the reporter. Well, it was 60% in 1987. And then, mm-hmm. uh, in, I think it was 2012 or 14 maybe, that this young person stood up and said, you've got your facts wrong. I said, what are you talking about? Well, the number, the percentage of white fetuses that are aborted is only 39% now. I said, wait a minute, wait just a minute. It was 60% before, it's 39% now. My point is that we are trying to increase the number of white babies born so that white people will not be a numerical minority in this country. Do you understand what you mm-hmm. just told me? You just, you just made my point. And his, his uh, brother was sitting there and he said, she's right about that. She's right. I said, now, do you want to rethink that? So we called his teacher. He was at the college. And I called his teacher and I said, you need to take this young man aside because I'm going to shatter him. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's talking about. And I will, I will make him really unhappy. You better take him out in the hall and deal with him. So she took him out in the hall and dealt with him. And later he apologized. He said, I, I guess I had my facts. I said, no, you didn't have your facts wrong. You have your attitude wrong. Oh, yeah. You can change facts, but you can change your attitude. And you'd better there do you it, go. my pale-faced friend, because this is your promise. Absolutely. Going to be, you're going to be at the hands of those that you have derided and ridiculed and abused mm-hmm. for most of your life. Now, you mm-hmm. better hope that they're more Christian than you are. Right. He right. He put his tail between his legs and got away. And it was a good thing he did because I was furious. Yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine. And you know what? You know, I can only imagine, um, Jane, how much uh, vitriol was thrown, has been thrown at you your, practically your whole life. We've talked about this before. Um, so, okay, so, here, so here's a question for you now. So because I know that, you know, um, you have, you know, had a lot of hate thrown your way, has it slowed down any? Oh, no, it gets worse, especially over the last four years. Oh, wow. Yeah, we have, in the last four years, been in, those folks have been encouraged to mm, join the Proud Boys. Yeah. And yeah, how about and, that? Yeah. And now uh, Boogaloo's and Oath Keepers. I want to know what oath they are keeping. Is yeah. Is it keep America, the United States of America white? Because I've got yeah. news for those folks. We never were white, and we are now. Right. We're all shades right. of brown. And we yeah. all started out, and they need to know this, they all started out, their ancestors all came from Africa, every one of them. And if right. all these proud boys would trace their DNA back as far as they could go, they found out find out that a percentage of their DNA came from a country in Africa. Let's just get over it. Right. 
So what did you think about, tell me your thoughts. I, I want to hear your thoughts, and I want you to share with the world what was going through your mind during the insurrection on January the 6th. What was going through my mind was, what if those people who are doing this were black? Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. was in my mind. Yeah. If they had been black, the National Guard would have been called in. There would have been... There would have been arrests. There would have been yeah. shootings. There would yeah. have, it would have been put down quickly. Yeah. But those people were encouraged to be there. They were That whole thing was planned. And the most ironic part of it is Saturday they had another one planned. And yeah. nobody showed up. Which yeah. says to you, it was really courageous when there were thousands of you marching up in that thing, wasn't it? But then when you right. found out what the consequences might be, you all stayed home. Right now, if they if they don't can't even can't even stand up and support what they're saying about this country, how can we expect them to stand up and defend this country in the future? Absolutely. These are Absolutely. Anybody who was involved, anybody who was involved in that so-called insurrection on January sixth is a blooming coward. Yeah. And I know some like their leader. Veterans. Yeah. Well, well yeah. Their leader. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he's a, he's, well, there's no, I don't want to talk about him, but if you're going to be a leader, you have to lead in ways that are good for everyone. Right. This isn't what he was doing. That isn't what he was doing. It wasn't what he intended to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really scary because now there there there's talk about and and you know at first you can't you know you try not to take anything serious when it comes to things that are said you know about him but about him maybe running the possibility of him running again in two years how in the world how in the world can they let that happen and I don't want to say that it's not going to because with him you know I mean they just let anything anything goes. If the rest of us don't get off our polyunsaturated fatty acids, they, mm. they, his followers, will make this thing happen. Yeah. The rest of us are responsible for seeing to it that they don't succeed. That they we don't have succeed. We the responsibility as citizens of the United States of America. And you'll notice I didn't mm-hmm. say America. Because mm-hmm. America is everything from the northernmost point of Canada to the southernmost point of South America. This country that we are protecting is the United States of America. And the most important word in that title is united. For four years, we had a so-called leader who tried to divide us. Now, what we have to do is decide we're not going to be divided. We are are not going to become part of a dictatorship. We are not going to follow a little Hitler, and we are going Mm -hmm. to get together and defeat him. We're going to do whatever it takes to defeat the Proud Boys, QAnon, (laughs) the Boogaloo's, the Oath Keepers, and the KKK. They're all in the same... They're all in the same category as far as I'm concerned. Yes, absolutely. Me too. Me too. So um, let's talk about the women's movement um, for a second, the civil rights movement and the role that the men played in it. Um, Also, the reason why uh, white women allow their men to control them, so to speak. So, you know, can you, like, you know, fill us in on what's going on with that? Like, they just seem to... Mm-hmm. In my opinion, we have had about 300, 350 years of being conditioned to the myth of the superiority of white males in this country. Mm. That's what it's all about. 
in a social studies class, in history, and whatever, we hear, we hear about and read about and study about and are able to regurgitate all the things that white males have done. Right. We can constantly forget or, or don't know. Most of us don't realize that there's no such thing as a white person. Mm-hmm. If you are an albino, you still aren't totally white because every human being is a shade of brown because we all mm-hmm. came from the same place. Now, we've mm-hmm. got to stop acting as though white males knew everything. They don't even know what color they are. And then you need to realize that we have a whole lot of women who are skillful, who are intelligent, who are accomplished, who are bright, they are courageous, and they're ready to go. And we better start taking advantage of that. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, There's <sighs> another thing I need to tell you. Did I tell uh-huh. you to read the book, Nile Valley Contributions to Civilization? Mm, you may have. Did I mention that? Well, if I didn't, I'm telling you now. Get the book, Nile Valley Contributions to Civilization, and you will okay. find out that those people in Egypt, and Egypt is a country in Africa, in the Nile Valley in Egypt, those people, 4,000 years before the birth of Christ, those very dark-skinned people were doing cataract surgery with metal instruments before there was an America. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. No. That was 4,000 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. People need wow. to know that because that is an indication of the brilliance in the communities of people of color. Right. The people wow. who we call, whom the, the Europeans, when they got here, when they invaded mm-hmm. here, called Indians. They weren't Indians. They were people who came from Africa originally. So it's time for us to change our language. It's time for us to change what we're teaching. And it's time to stop saying Columbus discovered America. Number one. Well, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Right. Look, I'm, yeah. yeah I'm people with people you on that. Mm-hmm. There were people on Africa from here 10,000 years before Columbus was born. You see, these things are facts and we need to start recognizing. Did you realize, so, did you know that only... Well, did you know that only 15 to 18 percent of the people on the face of the earth are classified white? Yes, I've heard you say that before. Mm-hmm. Abs- yeah. Over and over and over again, because 82 percent of us are people who, class- who are classified as other than white. We are in the numerical minority and have always been so, and we need to realize that. And people of color right. need to realize that when they get the foot the white foot off their neck and they are allowed to rise up and be what they what they could have been if we had appreciated how brilliant their ancestors were. When we get around to that, we'll tell the truth about history and we'll tell the truth about racism, which started in 1493. Mm. And even then, it wasn't called race at that time. It was just called, well, during the Spanish Inquisition, Torquemada and company were going to kill people who were Christians. And they killed a bunch of people and then realized that they killed a bunch of Christians. So they decided they had to, had to find some way to decide whether or not a person was Christian. They were trying to Catholicize everybody. So they are killing people. They decided yeah. to set up on skin color to decide whether you should be killed or allowed to live. And that's when this whole race business started. And in 1508, the word race, meaning a, part- a particular group of people, came out of France. In 1508, think about what a, 
what a short time that is that we've had this ridiculous problem. I think it figures out to 441 years we have been believing this nonsense. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Well, well, in your opinion then, how should the education system teach history to our youth? Well, we should start teaching history. Is that mm-hmm. area? They should start. Mm. They should get. Okay. The, they should get the National Geographic magazine for April of 2018, and they should show. They should. They will that map in there up and hang it on the classroom wall. Every school in the United States, and they mm-hmm. should say to their students, "This shows you where we came from. This shows you how we got here. This shows you what some brilliant people, creative, brave people, did." about 10,000 years ago. You all need to know this. That's where we start teaching history. So Mm -hmm. you're going to to do away with black history month because all our history is because of black people who came to this country and indeed who populated every landmass on the face of the earth between 300,000 and 500,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're going to teach history, let's let's say these are in the ancient times, but we are supposed to learn better, but we, are, we seem to be clinging to 441 years ago when white people decided they were a different race and they were going to be superior. If right. I can decide what my, what, race is, what my race is, I can decide whether my race is good or bad, and that helps me to decide whether your race is good or bad. Right. It's, a really, it's a really ignorant thing to do, but you have to remember, they were thinking of time. Uh, they, they were thinking in the 1500s. Those yeah. of us who absolutely demand that we stick with the words white and black because it's within the 1500s must, be, must agree to go back to using the same, if we're going to use the same language out of the 14-1500s, then we should go back to those, the means of communication and transportation that were used in, for, in the 1400s and 1500s. I doubt mm-hmm. that many men are one of them wanting to come to work in knee breeches and powdered wigs. I don't think that's going to happen because they don't mm-hmm. want to go back to that. They like no. everything they've got that is modern but they and technology. They like technology, but they don't want the truth. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. Well, talk about um, your color wheel of humanity theory. Your color oh, wheel of oh, humanity. Oh, yeah. yeah, there is something. It's called the. Oh, no, no. But it's called. Oh, the, the, yeah, the uh, Pantone color chart. There's a okay. Pantone color chart. And it's on that chart, you can see people of all different colors, only they're all shades of brown. And un- underneath each one of them is the word Pantone and then a number. So what you do is you put up the Pantone color wheel on the wall, and you have the students, whatever age they are, go up to that color wheel, put their hands and their palm against it so that they can see what color the back of their hands is, because we all know that our palms are a different color. Okay, put them against that thing, and when they come to a color that matches their hand, use that as the color of their skin. Mm. Yeah. It's on on Google, um, Pantone. It's a Pantone color chart. It's on Google. Okay. If we would have one of those in every classroom and kids would find out what their color is, then find, go to the thesaurus and look up 
synonyms for brown. There are about a hundred synonyms for brown in the thesaurus. Have them pick mm-hmm. one that they think matches the color of their skin. And then go to the dictionary and read the definition of that color. Not only are you going to make them more aware of the truth of skin color, you're going to, yes. make them, you're going to acquaint them with a thesaurus, which nobody uses unless they're in college, and a dictionary, right. which every person right. knows how to use. And I'm not saying pick up your cell phone and go through No, no, no. Go to the dictionary. Go to the thesaurus. We've got to get kids back to using books and maps yes. and, yeah, and things other than that damn thing in the palm of their hand. You know what? I love that idea. And so you mentioned the maps. Um, that's something else that I wanted to um, get you to, to share um, because I've, I've seen you talk about this before a couple of times, um, how the world map has been distorted. When I first saw you do that, I was like, wait a minute. So please tell us the reason behind it and how it came to be that way. The map, the, the Mercator map, we use throughout the United States of America to teach about the size, shape, and importance of the land masses on the earth was drawn by a man named Mercator, and he was commissioned by the Pope to make a map that showed the spread of Christianity. As mm. a result thereof, and as a result of the ignorance at that time, the northern hemisphere is almost twice as big as the southern hemisphere on the Mercator map. And the equator on that map, which we all know is an imaginary line that separates the world into two equal parts, the north em- northern hemisphere, I mean, means half a sphere, southern hemisphere, separates mm-hmm. them into two equal parts, but that map doesn't. It se- separates them into two-thirds for the top, for the colorless, and one-third for the people of color. It is mm-hmm. absolutely ridiculous to be using that map in today's school. Or mm. any school. It should never have been allowed in classrooms. And yet, right. that's all, and if you look at them, if you look at the, at the um, legend at the bottom of a Mercator map, many of them have the legend which says, South America is actually nine times larger than Greenland. On the map, Greenland is almost the size of South America. Mm. And the facts are on the map. And people right. don't read it. And if they do read it, they ignore it. Wow. Yeah, I get a little, I get a little uh, irritated about that because we, you know, what what we're dealing with is not only students, but instructors and administrators, yeah. and college professors who are yeah. suffering from self-imposed ignorance. Yeah. And it's easier to be ignorant than it is to learn and be uncomfortable. Wow. And that's that's true. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yep, you are absolutely right about that. That is so. Oof. That's that's just sad. There's, a, um, there's, some, there's another map. You use the Peters projection map. Peters, mm-hmm. P-E-T-E-R-S. Peters projection mm-hmm. map. Google it and send to that company and order a copy of that map. I I started talking about this. I don't know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and. If you order a copy of that map, they get really excited because they figure, here's at least another customer. People, order copies of the Peters Projection map, and you can get it in postcard size, in placemat size. Uh, you can get it in one, a size that's a wall, put on a wall. Every classroom should have a Peters Projection map beside the Mercator map so that kids can see, here's the way we thought it was, here's the way it is. Right, right. Wow, I need to start talking to some of my... Go ahead. Well, we're, we're educators. 
Yeah. Educators. The word educators comes from the root ep, deuce, which means lead, the prefix e, which means out, the suffix ate, which means the act of, and the suffix or, which means one who does. An educator is one who is engaged in the act of leading students out of ignorance. Yeah. And you can't do that when you use a Mercator map and teach. <laughs> and we have Black History Month. For God's sake. There is so much black history that if you're going to really teach black history, you have to teach it every day of the 180 days of school. Right. Instead you're right about that. 30 minutes, 30 minutes in 20 days for 20 days, and that's it. That's yeah. what we call black history. Black history is far greater than yeah. the history of those who came after them. Absolutely. It absolutely is. We say well, that all the time. Let me make something perfectly clear here. I'm not mm-hmm. saying this to placate black people, but people who call themselves black. I'm saying this because it's time for our students of color, particularly our melanotic students, and melanotic means very dark. It's time for our melanotic students to realize when they go to school in the morning that when the teacher says, oh, another little black boy, they can say, number one, I'm melanotic, and I have my ancestors were here before yours were. But yours Ooh. came later. Yours came later, and so I have to tolerate you, and I'm willing to do that. But don't you call me a little black boy ever again as long as we both live. Oh, I love it. Melanotic. I like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and if, you have, if you're only slightly dark, then you're melanaceous. If you aren't mm-hmm. dark at all, you're melanemic. Okay. Now, yeah, well, I know I'm supposed to say melanemic. But melanemic works very nicely for me because if you don't have enough iron in your blood, you're anemic. If you don't have enough melanin in your skin to protect yourselves from the dangerous rays of the sun, then you are melanemic. As far as I'm concerned, that word eventually will get into the dictionary. Melanotic is already there. Melanaceous and melanemic will get there eventually because we've got to give up the language of the 14th and 15th century. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so you've mentioned, let's talk about another book that you've mentioned that um, one of these days when I can afford it, I definitely want to get it. Um, You've mentioned the book The Birth Dearth by Ben Wattenberg. (laughs) Yeah, see, see? I've been in communication with the people who publish that book and who sell that book. Uh Oh, wow. Friday, 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 and I got a letter from them, an email from them today saying we have found a book. Oh. But, yeah, but it is, the one we found came out in in um, booklet form. I said, no, that's not, the, yeah, I had them on the telephone. I said, that's not the one I want. It was a hardcover book. He said, well, one has just come out that was done in 2000-something. And he said, what he says in that book sounds like exactly what you quoted him as having said in the 1987 edition. And I ordered the book. It's going to cost me a small fortune, but I'm going to have that book in my possession. I'm absolutely... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. In the first paragraph of that book, The Birth Dirt, Ben Wattenberg, who was brilliant, there's no doubt about it, he was absolutely brilliant, said, the main problem confronting the United States today is there are not enough white babies being born in this country. If we do not do something about this and do it soon, white people will lose their numerical majority, and this will no longer be a white man's land. That was the first mm. paragraph of the first page of that book. And I went, wow. I thought, what wow. the hell is this? 
And what year was this? I heard about him and I thought, this can't be. But there it was, in black and white. Can you want to remember? But, that yeah, but what year yeah, but what year was that, though? 1987. 1987. Mm. So mm. he got mm. so many really nasty reviews that he wrote another one. And this right. one doesn't have that first paragraph in it, and it's full of tables and charts and graphs that prove what he wants to say, but doesn't really say it. And you want to remember that Benjamin Disraeli said there are three kinds of lies. Lies, damn lies, and statistics. <laughs> I like yeah. that. <laughs> and, he, and he threw in all these statistics because he didn't want to say it in black and white, in black ink on white paper. Those whites don't look too good anyway. He didn't want to put right. that down, he had, so he had to mask it by using tables and graphs and charts. You cannot wow. live your life on statistics because the person who writes the statistics decides what the statistics are going to show. And if they don't show what he wants them to show, they use some other statistics or some other form or some other words. Mm-hmm. Mm, mm, mm. When I heard you say that before, I, you know, and this was in 1987, people, which was just not too long ago, you know, and I bet you, go ahead. It was too long ago for us to still, for us to still believe this nonsense. Yeah. Yep. It's only two years after JFK became president. It only took us two and a half years or something to walk on the moon. Yeah. Now, if we could do that in two and a half years, surely we could teach yeah. the truth over the last Absolutely. One, 13, 33 years, 34 years. But we have decided not to. We have decided, as the editor in the movie, the man who shot Liberty Valance, as he said, if the legend prints self, if the legend sells, print the legend. And that's exactly what we have done in this country. The legend of white superiority sells to white people. And yeah. it sells, and this is really scary, it sells to the ALEC people. You know about ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council? You know about that? Mm-mm. No. Look it up. Look it up. I get sure will. Rich, get the book Rich Thanks to Racism and read it, and you will be absolutely infuriated. By Wait a minute, Rich, what's the, what's the title? Rich Thanks to Racism. Thanks to Racism, Okay. And the oh, subtitle yeah. says, how the ultra-wealthy profit from racial injustice. And they mm, do. Mm, mm. Yeah. Oh, okay, so I'm going to, we have a caller. Um, I'm going to bring the caller in, and, you know, they're going to ask you a question. So okay. I believe we have Can Brittany. Oh, we, we want you to give an answer, <laughs> Cousin Jane. <laughs> so we got Brittany on, uh, Brittany on hold. Let's bring Brittany in. Um, wait one second. Um, Brittany, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi, Brittany. How are you this evening? I'm, I'm well. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be on the show. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. You're absolutely welcome. So you have the mic. Go on. Ask um, Jane your question. How are you doing today, Ms. Elliott? Well, I'm very flattered that you're listening to me and that you're still on the line. (laughs) (laughs) 
yes, yes. I've listened to uh, I've I've listened to a lot of your lectures and things that you you've done with Lisa as well. Um, I'm here actually with my wife Anissa, and um, so my question, our question to you is: uh, living through um, the civil rights movement and seeing where things have gone with legislature for women and uh, people of color. With this whole uh, this um, abortion law that was passed in Texas, what do you think that means for women and people of color going forward? Like, what does it, that open the door for, in your opinion? It, it means that we aren't going forward. We're going backward. What has happened in Texas is not forward-looking or forward-moving. That is a huge step backward. That is turning women into objects, but which will be used to increase the number of white people in the United States of America. It's just like the wall, the border, the wall along the southern border of the United States. That isn't to keep everybody out. That's just to keep out brown-skinned people. And the former president says we have to keep those brown-skinned people out because brown-skinned people reproduce too rapidly. Now this whole thing is as if. Donosaurus T. Rump had somebody read the Ben Wattenberg book to him. Because you need to realize that the, not only that, but one of the, a book, if you haven't read the book, uh, um, just a minute, I'll get it in my head, but I don't see it on the, anyway. Anyway, there's a book out there called Something Strange. Oh, in that, I'll get it. A man wrote, a man wrote a book about Mr. Trump and his behaviors and why he acts the way he does. And when the when at times the mob is swayed is the name of the book. Get the book, When at Times the Mob is Swayed. And it's Mm. A Citizen's Guide to Defending Our Republic. And he says that in Donald Trump's bedside table in a locked drawer, he Mm -hmm. has a copy of the book, The New World Order, which is the writing Mm -hmm. of Adolf Hitler. When this man came to power, the first speech I heard him give as he was being inaugurated was, my God, this sounds like Nazi Germany. And then, of Mm -hmm. course, I'd say that to people, oh, Jane, you're you're exaggerating now. That's not the way it is. So I waited a couple years, and then I read this book, and I watched what he was doing. I wasn't exaggerating. I was describing what was happening and what was happening deliberately. None of it was an accident. It was deliberate, and he was determined to turn this country into an oligarchy. And he was going mm. to be the head. Now, what was mm. the question? Mm. I, uh, motor, didn't I? <laughs> Brittany? Yes. Hello? Yes. <laughs> she asked you if she, 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 she wants you to repeat your question. <laughs> No, did you? Did I answer your question? Oh, wait, wait. No, I didn't. Yes. No, I need to answer that. The civil rights movement, the civil rights movement was coming, coming along beautifully, until pale-faced males decided that they had to find a way to slow that movement down. So they encouraged mm-hmm. their women, their wives, and their, their they encouraged their wives and children and whoever. Whatever, whatever white woman they could find, to start a women's movement. And it was a women's mm-hmm. movement. might as well have been called a white women's movement. They might as well have had signs that said, black women need not apply. That movement mm. succeeded 
in slowing down the civil rights movement and almost stopping it. That was not an accident. If you haven't read the book, The Color of Law, you better get it and read it because mm-hmm. you don't realize that laws are written by people who believe in, this white, in white superiority and we, they yeah. believe that all everything they learned in law school must be true. It isn't true. It wasn't true. Yeah. People of color are not inferior to colorless people. We're right. all the same race. We're all members of the same race. There's only one race of people on the face of the earth, and it's time for us to get that into our heads and stop this nonsense. The civil rights movement, if so-called white women had joined the civil rights movement in massive numbers, we'd have solved that problem, and then women could have their day. But yeah. black women weren't invited or encouraged to go into the women's movement. That was all about white women. Mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah. And you know what? Have you by chance, have you ever, have you, first of all, have you heard of The Handmaid's Tale? Yes, I read it years ago. Oh, my gosh. And and that is actually what's happening today, isn't it? Well, hell, yeah. It's just, yes, you know, people who write these things, then some of the people in the community will take that as a good idea. Let's try that. Yeah. But if people would read that, read the book, The Handmaid's Tale, and realize that it was, in fact, a prescription for the future. If yeah, we well. If we could do something, this could be in our yeah. future. We have to and here it is. To see what could happen and then say, that ain't going to happen in my community. And then yeah. see to it that it doesn't. And if enough people of all, of every human being, and most of us consider ourselves human beings. In fact, when I go, when I do a program, I ask I ask the people of who consider themselves white to stand, and they all stand up, and they're so proud of themselves, and, and the white race. And then I say, well, then the black race, and they stand, and they're brown and yellow and red. I say, now, after getting them all on their feet, now will every person in this room who considers himself or herself a member of the human race please sit down? And there's an audible gasp in the audience, and then they turn and look at each other, and then they sit down, and then they start to visit about what they just heard and what just happened right. to them. Is she telling me that I'm not a member of the white race, I'm a member of the human race. Yeah, I am. I am. And if they don't sit down, I will say to the person still standing, what planet did you come from? Hmm. And they'll say, from Earth. Well, then, you're a member of the human race. Get your butt on a chair. Right. <laughs> I am quite sure. Go ahead. What were you going to say? No. I was just going to say, I'm quite sure that they, if I could just just one time be in the audience when you're speaking, so I could just record the reactions of some of these people. Let me ask you this. So have have you um, noticed, um, I don't know if you go out and speak as much anymore, um, but have you... You do a lot of virtual stuff now. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, because I was going to, I was wondering um, if you did, did, is it better? And well, I shouldn't say better, but do you find that um, it's, you know, the negative reactions are worse than they used to be? They are more vicious. They are more, yeah. they are more, they are more obvious. They are more immediate and they are more threatening. And mm. I say to them, and every time I, I do one, there's always those little three little boys in the front row who wear the <laughs> caps that say "Make America Make Great Again," but they mean "Make America Hate Again," and they're mm-hmm. using their pointing, pointing, you know, they're using their hand to point at me as if it's a gun. And I say, "All right, fellas, I know what you're talking about. You'd like to see me dead 
because of what I do to attempt to decrease the level of racism in this country. That's right. You can kill me. That won't bother me. I'd like to be where my son and my husband are. And my children last year will have, they'll, they'll be kind of glad I'm going because they'll get all this stuff I have. Now, however, you need to know that if you kill me because of what I do, you make a, might make a martyr out of me, and then you might have to spend the rest of your life celebrating Jane Elliott Day once a year. Is that what you want? <laughs> and then they all, you know, make a cross out of their first two fingers of each other and hang it up. No, no, no. I say, fine, then shut, shut up and listen while I'm talking. <laughs> I, wow. Uh, you know, yeah, I pay. When you're 87 years old and you've mm. done most of the things you wanted to do and your husband is gone, whom you absolutely adored for 60 years, and your son is gone, whom you absolutely adored for 60 years, the fear of dying doesn't exist. I would rather be dead than live a meaningless life. Mm. Mm. And you have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know we're down to the you know um, I have to get ready to let you go because I could talk to you forever. But bringing up this very last question, actually, um, you know, and I asked you this before, but we haven't talked in a while, so maybe your answer has changed. In all of the years um, since you started this endeavor up to this point in your life, thinking back, is there anything you would have done differently, and do you have any regrets? Yeah, I'd have warned my kids about what mm-hmm. the teachers might do to them. And I didn't warn them because I was born and raised in school in, edu- in, in uh, Riceville, Iowa, and my great-grandfather was one of the first settlers there. And we were well-known in the community. And it never occurred to me that a teacher, after my son, my youngest son, got in a fight in the, on the playground because of the exercise and what I had done the exercise, and the teacher took him in, the fourth grade teacher took him into the classroom, stood him up in front of the class and said, boys and girls, we can't blame Mark for what his, the awful things his mother has done. Oh, my goodness. Now, if I had warned him about that, he wouldn't have gotten into the fight. And if she stood him up, he would have said, what awful things are you talking about, Mrs. Stephan? She's just telling the truth. Is that wrong? Because now that's what he'd say. Of course, he's a 60-year-old man. Mm-hmm. But at that time, for the they were in, when they were in elementary, junior, and senior high school, they were the N-word lovers' children. And mm-hmm. that's the way the teachers talked about them, and that's the way the teachers treated them, and that's the way they allowed and encouraged others, the students to treat them. Mm. I didn't mind that they were vicious to me. I didn't care whether they spoke to me, you know. I didn't care what they said about me. I still don't care what they say about me. And when somebody says, how do you feel about how people are talking about you? I say, well... There's an Arab proverb that says, an Arab saying that says, the village dogs bark, but the caravan moves on. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I've moved on. I haven't moved on physically. I'm 14, yes. 17 miles from Riceville. But I have moved on intellectually and socially and religiously and not only physically but mentally and morally. And there are people who do not move on, who are encouraged yeah. to maintain their child ego state for as long as they possibly can. Mm. If people are listening who don't know about transactional analysis, they should get the book TA for Teens and read it. And after you read that, you'll realize when you're talking to someone which ego state that person is in because you have three ego states, child, parent, and adult. And you can mm-hmm. tell by the state they make, which ego state yeah. they're in. If 
just fascinating. And it's particularly, it has been particularly fascinating for the last four years because our former president never, never speaks from the adult ego state except when he's <laughs> reading the teleprompter. And he doesn't yeah. read well, so he gets the phraseology yeah. wrong. He gets the pronunciation wrong because he isn't accustomed to speaking from the adult ego state. And what right. he's doing right now is proving that right now he's in his angry child ego state. He's yeah. going to throw all the sand out of the sand pile. He's going to yeah. pull the club down the swimming pool. That's the kind of thing the people in their child ego state do, and that's what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that yeah, and you and you're right. In the last four years, we have seen a whole lot of child ego states. I mean, that's the whole for, yeah. For the last four years, that's all him. we've seen. You argue with mm-hmm. him, and even if you've got more education than he has, most all of us have, you get fired. You get dropped uh, yeah. on. You get abused yeah. verbally and physically and financially. You have to yeah. realize that this man is a case of arrested development. And if you don't recognize it, if you don't recognize the symptoms and the characteristics, you'll say, oh, my, isn't that too bad? No, if you recognize it, you'll say, wait a minute, fool. It's time for you to grow up. You've grown older, now it's time for you to grow up. And here are the ways that I know which ego state you're in. You said this and this and this. Each of those comes out of your child ego state. It will blow his mind. Well, it won't blow his mind because that's already gone. But, you know, there might be something there, left there, that could get to him and make him for the limited time he has left, speak like an adult instead of like a spoiled child. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. You know what? Thank you so much. And I want to thank Brittany um, uh, for coming on. And, um, Brittany, did she answer the question for you? Yes, most Hello? definitely. In a hundred, yes, most definitely. And a hundred other questions, too. Okay. <laughs> Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think she. Yes, thank you so much, Brittany. We so appreciate you calling in, Um, um, cousin Jane. I hate to let you go, but I don't want to, you know, wear out my welcome. Um, I just appreciate you so so much, and I just thank you for all of your contributions to this realm, to this world. Thank you, oh, thank wow. you, thank you, thank you. You have forgotten and, more since breakfast about racism than I'm ever going to learn. Don't that I'm ever going to learn. So you are you yeah. know more than I do, and you had more than I've had. But thank you for thank you for saying that I know what I'm talking about. Oh, you do. You absolutely do. We need more people like you, <laughs> too. Because you know what? I don't think in my lifetime, I'm going to. I'm, I'm always hopeful. You know, I'm always hopeful that things are going, and they're changing slowly because people are slowly waking up. Um, one well, thing that this, hurry up. If yeah, hurry up, we don't have time to wait now. We absolutely can't to do this slowly. We have to. People have to be yeah. in the street in the thousands. People of all colors, the, all the yes, whole human ma'am. race, the whole human race has to get out into the street and say to the poor, to the proud boys, and the yep promise keepers, the oath keepers, and the QAnon folks, we will not tolerate your behaviors. Yeah. You, you think we aren't going to replace you? We, people whom you consider white, we are going to replace you oath keepers and you proud boys 
and you QAnon members and you Boogaloos, we're going to replace you with intelligent people who are in their adult ego state for the rest of their lives. Yeah. We're not going to tolerate this behavior. And we need to re-educate the police so that they'll stop believing that white people are superior and black people are inferior and treating them as though what they think is actual fact. We yeah. have to re-educate the police. We don't need to refund them, but we need, we need to re-educate them. And let me tell you something else. I, I'm sure you've mm-hmm. but I've got to tell you. No, 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 take your time. A man and a woman, a man and a woman in Netherlands who took the course, I, I told him how, Use the blue eye brown eyed exercise. Oh, 27 years ago. 27 years ago, for God's sake. They have been using it with police forces in Netherlands, and they're having terrific success in changing the way members of police, police departments see their citizens of color. Mm-hmm. Now, if that can happen in the Netherlands, mm-hmm. after she learned it from some silly woman from the United States, that could happen in this country. Yeah. And with the way we have instant communication in this country, we could turn this thing around if we all decided we're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore. This is going Absolutely. to stop. Absolutely. Absolutely. Every person on the earth is my 30th to 50th cousin. Mm-hmm. And I get really angry when some of my dumber cousins mistreat people <laughs> because not because of the color of their skin, but because of their ignorance about skin color and what it means and where it came from. This is yeah. all based on ignorance. If we would educate and leave people out of ignorance, we could get rid of racism. Can't do it in my lifetime because I probably don't have much time left, but it could be doing in yours and could certainly yeah. do it in my children and my grandchildren and my three great-grandsons' lifetime. We could get rid of this problem. Nobody's born well, a bigot. You have to be well, taught to be a bigot, and we do that very well. Yep. Yeah. You're absolutely correct. And, you know, um, Brittany actually had a part two to her question real quick, and and, um, I hope you don't mind me just elaborating a little bit. She says, um, if the the aim of the anti-abortion law is to increase white race through white women, what is the aim of the law with black women? You're less likely to see protesters outside a Planned Parenthood clinic in a black section of town. Mm-hmm. We are thoroughly, totally, positively aware that many black women are scared to death when they go into the delivery room. Right. Because they know that the chances are very good that their child won't come out alive. Mm. And I've talked to black women who said, I hated to go in. I was afraid he wouldn't come out a lot. And a couple of them said, and the doctor said, um, he has some problems. He'll never be able to walk or talk. We'll keep him here and take care of him. I'll take my child home. Well, he's never, I'm taking my child home. And they have to, they've had to insist that they be given their child so that they could take that child home and raise that child. And those are functioning people, those children that they raised. Mm-hmm. What happens in doctors' offices, and, and I'll never forget the woman in Australia who was a Koori, and she said that when she when she delivered her baby in the white hospital, without her knowing it, they tied her tubes so that she'd never get pregnant. Oh, my pregnant. goodness. Yeah. Wow. Now, you think that only happens in Australia? I don't. No. Oh, no. Yeah. See, I think we're glad we don't know how often it happens here. Because if the law says it's all right to discriminate in housing, in medical, in medicine, 
in employing, yeah. in education, if that's all right, why isn't it all right to deal with the problem right up front and see to it that we don't have too many of those being born? Right. You remember right. what remember what Esther said about Indians? Kill them all. Yeah. Lice, eggs make a lice, um, eggs make lice or something like that. Yeah, and, and you know, they killed all the people in an Indian, in a Native American village, and they said, "What do we do?" He said, "Kill them all. Nits, nits, I'm sorry, nits make lice. Kill them all." That's the way he, who was regarded as one of our fine military people, that's the way he felt about the original inhabitants of this country. Now, if he hmm. felt that way and got away with it and became famous because of it, what in the devil do you think people who are in medical school are going to think? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, as a um, as a black woman, I can speak to that myself. Actually, um, when I had my second child, my daughter Megan, um, she was actually ten pounds eleven point six ounces and twenty two and a half inches long at birth. And so, yeah, she she was yeah, and so um, my you know of course. It, my my stomach was like from here to there, like it was just huge. And the doctor that I had at the time, um, instead of you know telling me, because I did, I had no idea. Like I you know I just I'm pregnant. I'm getting ready to have this baby. So I had no idea how big she was. Um, when I went in for the measurements, he just kept saying to me, "Oh, it's a big baby. It's a big baby." And I believe that you should have a C-section. Like, no, who wants to push, you know, I pushed out 11-pound baby. Like, and so so when I went into delivery and I, um, you know, was pushing, you know, for it was time for her to come, and I didn't realize this was going on at the time, they snapped her collarbone on the left oh. side in order because her shoulders were, you know, brought in order for her shoulders to come through, you know, the birth canal. They had to oh. snap her collarbone um cousin Jane in order for her to come out and so what that did was it severed all of the nerves in her left shoulder and she could not lift we had to pin her little arm you know in her clothes to her to her gowns and stuff because she had no movement she had no movement now well well see here we go this is this is the spiritual aspect of the story you know um god is so good <laughs> but um because my faith was strong as, as strong as it was when when megan was born we you know she had to do therapy we took her to um to supposedly one of the best neurologists was here at Johns Hopkins at the time. I live in Maryland. And um, she examined her, and she said to me, she says, well, you know, your child, is, she had the worst bedside manner ever. She said, your child is going to be handicapped for the rest of her life. She's not going to have any movement in her arm. And if she does, it's going to, she's going to have herbs, what's called herbs palsy, blah, blah. She went on and on and on. And so at that, at that time, I was having like an out-of-body experience because what mother wants to hear that your child is going to be hand, and then she said she's not going to be like other children. Oh, I mean, she just went on with this thing, and so I'm trying to make the, a long story short. But um, you know, I just pr we prayed over her, we prayed over her. I just believed that you know, my God is a healer. Um, I'm not going to accept this diagnosis, and so on and so forth. So a miracle did happen. She was able to, within let's say the next mm, maybe month. She was able to move her arm 
Um, and she's, she has full movement in it now, you know. And when I took her back to the doctor, the doctor looked at her, she examined her, and she said, Mrs. Saunders, she said, I don't know what to tell you because there's no medical explanation why she's able to move her arm. Because they said when the nerves are severed, it takes at least 8 to 10 years for them to start to fuse themselves back words, together. In other, words, in other words, the doctor who delivered her failed. Yes. Yeah. So here's another yeah. black woman that went into delivery. Right. Let's see. Let's see how this works. We'll try it on a black woman. It would have been yeah. so much better had they done it to Syrian and not had that problem. Exactly from the very beginning. Yeah. So yeah, I. Whoever delivered that baby knew it, and that's another form of that's another example of experimentation to enhance yes. that doctor's ability and knowledge about birth among black women. Absolutely. Absolutely. I so, really, yeah. I, I, wish I, weren't so, I wish I weren't so jaded, but I've watched these things happen. I've seen what happens, but I've heard from women what happens in delivery rooms and what happens yeah. in hospitals. And it's not because those people are naturally vicious, and they are not. <laughs> We're not talking about unconscious bias here. Yeah. We're talking about self-imposed ignorance. But when you yeah. use words like unconscious bias and conscious bias and macro and microaggressions, if you use enough polysyllabic words to describe ugly behaviors, that gives yeah. white people an excuse for the way they behave. They can say, well, it's not my fault. I, I suffer from unconscious bias. <laughs> unconscious <laughs> bias is a choice you make. Yes, Just as it absolutely bias is. is a choice you make. Yeah. But the problem is bias, and the bias is the result of an education system that doesn't tell the truth. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Cousin Jane, thank you again so much for coming back with us and sharing. Um, hopefully, maybe, you know, we can do it again sometime next year. <laughs> but um, I'll probably have a whole other list of books for you to read. Yes, ma'am. Well, you know, I have several. I have so many books that you have recommended, and I still, like, if you get this copy of the book, you said you bought it, uh, the Dirt, what is it, the Dirt Bus? You copy it. Yes, I want to get that book so bad. It's on my wish list. Don't get the old one. Wait until you get. Wait until I get my hands on this new one, and I'll okay. send you the material on that. Because the okay. middle one is the one that they cleaned up. The old one. I can't get the old one, but now I'm getting one that the guy who talked to me about this morning said it sounds like the book you're describing, but it isn't the same book. But it's the sound. It sounds like it's a bit built on the same principle, and that's the problem. It's built on the same principle. Have you read gotcha. uh, Whitney Young's book, Beyond Racism? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Oh, that's a good one. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, where he says employers should have a sign on their door that says hire black. And he says don't yes. just hire the brilliant. I see dumb white people getting jobs all the time. I think that's yeah. a brilliant statement. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> the nail on the head. <laughs> Are you writing a book? Oh, no, somebody's writing a book about me. I wrote a book. It's kind of an interesting little thing. It's called The, the Eye of the Snow. It's called A Collar in My Pocket. And I wrote it because I wanted my kids to have a record of what, why they suffered the way they did. I could explain it to them and so, so they wouldn't have, have to believe the teachers who didn't like what I did. So I wrote right. a book called Collar in My Pocket. And somebody read it this week and called me after she read it and said, this is beautiful, you're brilliant. I thought, well... Your IQ may not be as high as I thought it was, but that's okay. If she likes it, that's fine. But it's a, it's it tells what it was what 
I did, why I did it, and how it turned out, and what I've learned. Is it on Amazon? I think, yeah, it is. Okay, well, I'm definitely going to get that then, because I don't, I don't want to know why I don't even have that in my library, but it's going to be in there now. So, well, yes, ma'am. Send, send me the copy, and I'll autograph no, it. Yeah. Hey, if you get it from my daughter, if you contact my daughter okay. in California, she has copies of that book, and she sends them out to people who want it, but I think it's $25. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. As a matter of fact, when um, maybe not this evening, but I'll email you. I'll email you, and then you can give me her information, or you can give her mine, and you know I'll get a copy. Okay, I'll just send. I'll just. I'll just forward the email to her. Okay, great. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you. Already, those are already. Um, I've already autographed. autographed all those. Yay! I'm excited. Thank you so much. <laughs> all right, sweetheart. Well, thank you, too, and I love you, and I will be in touch with you soon. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Bye. All righty. All right. Well, now we're down to this part of the show where I will leave you with this. Um, I always try to, you know, I meditate, and I try to come up with um, something that will correlate with what we're discussing on the show, and um, it was just dropped in my spirit because we were talking with a, a wonderful educator, um, Cousin Jane Elliott, who is absolutely amazing. And so God put it on my heart to just to read a piece from about Miss Mary McLeod Bethune. And actually the the thing, the quote that she says at the end right before she passed is just absolutely amazing. So I just want to share a little bit um, about Miss Mary McLeod Bethune with you. She started a school for African American girls with only a dollar fifty cents. $1.50. The school uh, boarded the town dump, actually. It was a make, they had makeshift desks and chairs, were made from discarded crates and boxes. There were five students at the time, and the students made ink for pens from elderberry juice and pencils from burned wood. When the local Ku Klux Klan heard about the school, they threatened to burn it down. There were reports that they waited outside the school, but she stood in the doorway, unwilling to back down or leave her school. Other stories say that she and her students started singing spirituals, and the Ku Klux Klan eventually left. Won't God do it? Mary McClown Bethune was born on July 10, 1875, in a log cabin on a cotton farm in South Carolina, the 15th of 17 children of former slaves. Most of her brothers and sisters were born into slavery. She was the first child born free. She started working in the fields by the age of five. One day she accompanied her mother delivering white people's wash. When she was given permission to enter the white children's nursery, she saw a book which fascinated her. A white girl would quickly snatch the book from her hands, telling her she didn't know how to read. That's when Mary realized the only difference between white and black folk was the ability to read and write. When she got the opportunity, McLeod attended a one-room black schoolhouse, walking five miles to and from the school. When she got home, she would teach her parents and siblings what she learned. She then got an opportunity to attend the Moody Bible Institute in 1895, becoming the first African-American student to graduate from the school. She decided then she would become a missionary, sharing what she learned, but 
she would be informed that no one wanted or needed a black missionary. Rather than give up her dreams, she decided more than ever that she would eventually teach. Flash forward to 1904, when after moving to Florida, she started the Educational and Industrial Training School for Negro Girls, which initially had five girls aged 6 to 12. With limited resources, she was determined to make the school a success, even when the Ku Klux Klan threatened her. But eventually, she received donations and support from the community, and the school grew to 30 girls by the end of the year. Booker T. Washington would tell her of the importance of white benefactors to fund her school, so she started traveling and fundraising, receiving donations from John D. Rockefeller and establishing contacts with Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt. Her little school would become even more successful after it merged with a private institute for African-American boys and become known as the Bethune-Cookman School. She was president of the college from 1923 to 1942 and 1946 to 1947, becoming one of the few women in the world to serve as a college president at that time. After she found that one of her students needed medical care, was denied the care she needed, and was placed on an outside porch of the local white hospital and set up a room with a bed, she used her funding sources and connections to open the first black hospital in Daytona, Florida. According to the Turning Point Suffragist Memorial Association, McLeod became one of the 20th century's most powerful and celebrated advocates for civil rights and suffrage, holding prominent roles, including president in the National Association of Colored Women. She also served as president of the Florida Federation of Colored Women's Clubs, where she fought against school segregation and sought health care for black children. Under her leadership, the National Council of Negro Women was founded as a unifying voice for African-American organizations. When she passed away on May 18, 1955, she was recognized across the country. One newspaper suggested the story of her life should be taught to every school child for generations to come, and the New York Times noted she was one of the most potent factors in the growth of interracial goodwill, uh, interracial goodwill in America. In her own words before she died, she wrote, I leave you love. I leave you hope. I leave you the challenge of developing confidence in one another. I leave you a thirst for education. I leave you a respect for the use of power. I leave you faith. I leave you racial dignity. I leave you a desire to live harmoniously with your fellow men. I leave you a responsibility to our young people. If I have a legacy to leave my people, it is my philosophy of living and serving. I think I have spent my life well, and I pray now that my philosophy may be helpful to those who share my vision of world peace, progress, brotherhood, and love. So that concludes my show for this evening. I want to thank everyone for tuning in, and a shout-out 
to all my family who are always loving and supporting me, and also to my friends and colleagues and all of my social networking sites. Once again, a big thank you to Cousin Jane Elliott for taking the time to share a big part of her journey with us and her wisdom with us. We are eternally grateful for you. And don't forget to stop by my website, yourdestinyawaits.net, to get some extra motivation and inspiration and leave a message to let us know you stopped by. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash a date with destiny 101 and follow us on Twitter at least 101. That's L Y S E 101. Make sure you come back and tune in on Monday, October the 4th at 6:30 Eastern standard time. Always remember folks that real power comes from knowledge because knowledge is power. And when we know better, we do better. So your mission, if you choose to accept it, is take the necessary time to do a true self-evaluation. Seek God and learn how to love yourself first, because after all, you owe it to yourself to know yourself. Once again, I'm Lisa M. Saunders, and thank you for tuning in to Blog Talk Radio's A Date with Destiny. Peace and abundant blessings, everyone. <laughs> Yo, mom, you Nobody but me. Love is what we need. So if you give that, the blessings will proceed. So please give that. Coming at your mob, deep on this song, and now it's on. We come together, we form. Better yet, form, form, form. Spread love like mustard, bust it. Make your knowledge be born. So trust it. It's me, okay. Learn to love Everybody can show it all the love feels the blood of Jesus we need it And he will up to through the pages of my history So I'll leave it till the Give me this.
drug, they call it love. I pump it off around the world. It touches the soul of every man, woman, child, boy, and girl. I pray that we can live together on this family tree. Royal you flush it, Mike G, we want the world to see. What's happening is the matter when the people travel in the grass within the padded in. This united gathering, keeping all the love, love, if you respect the vibe. Work it out just like an exercise. Summer. When they burglarize the soul, they cold Over for the outsiders, looking in, time is looking grim You can't even trust your friends, damn Because it's very necessary that various policies get variated, eradicated I hate it, it's for the extra mile you had to walk Just to talk to your homie who was looking and showing you had love for Together united with all my power, ready to throw. At any hour, get love and it won't let me stumble. Follow me. Yo, mom. Oh, mom. <laughs>